Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Tim Heiderich. And we have a special guest today who's here to talk to you about why Gulenist Charter School is the best choice for your child. It's Felix Biederman of Chapo Trap House. Welcome, Felix. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. I, I have a question I'd like to start with. Why the hell are we talking about On Deadly Ground? <laughs> uh, well, because... I was given a list of movies and uh, I was like, I haven't seen any of these. I don't understand any of them. And then it was like, how about a about a little type of thing that I know about? It's called Steven Seagal. Yeah, actually, uh, we were going to talk about Jean Renoir's Grand Illusion, but uh, Felix is the biggest fucking prima donna from Chapo, and he's like, no, we're talking about Steven Seagal. It's really, it's more uh, sort of his area of expertise. I exactly. Take it. Yeah, excellent. But no, actually, uh, this 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 one's a hot one. Uh, it's uh, it's thematically rich, and it's a great example of Seagal as auteur, which we will discuss. And for a movie from 1992, still relevant and prescient, I gotta say. Yeah, that's the terrifying part. You know, so uh, the people can understand a little bit what we're talking about. Uh, Felix, can you give the capsule summary of On Deadly Ground? All right, so um, this movie, On Deadly Ground. A uh, little context in Seagalology. Uh, Seagal was off like a very hot streak of movies. He had started out in the 80s with the movie, uh, uh, no, not Above the Law, uh, the one with Pam Greer. Uh, then he did Out for Justice, which is maybe his best movie. Unironically a good movie. And uh, just, you know, multiple titles with variations like that. And... The thing is, he worked with, like, very good, competent action directors and really good uh, uh, character actors like William Forsyth, for instance, in Out for Justice or, you know, in Under Siege. He, not a character actor, but a great actor, Tommy Lee Jones, etc., Gary Busey. Mm-hmm. He had people to, to, like, play off of where he could do his thing and... He was kind of he was interesting because the '80s was filled with like these sort of like steroid loaded uh, supermen, guys like Schwarzenegger and Stallone, who were pretty conventional in the way that they were cool and powerful. But in Seagal, you saw a guy who's like kind of gangly and has a big ass and runs weird, and it was such <laughs> in, a in the different... Roger Moore mold of action star. Yeah. And so, like, in the, in the, you, you know, I remember in Above the Law, this is my favorite thing, they actually have, like, a mini documentary, like, a five-minute-long documentary at the start of the movie that's, like, uh, you may be wondering why I'm an Italian guy who has a ponytail and wears a kimono. <laughs> I was in the CIA, and then I did Aikido. And it's like because it was like in the 80s, you had to explain like why a guy like this exists. It was before the Internet where like now, yeah, there are tons, tons of like weird guys, white guys like Seagal who are really into just pan Asian culture that they 
invented in their head. But back then it would be like, all right, you know, what's what's up with this type of guy? Uh, so these movies were very successful because Seagal had he he did have like a lot of charisma. And I think he still does, and he the stuff he did Aikido, even though it's like. Not very practical as far as, like, actual fighting, but, like, in movies, it looks very cool. It's sort of like a use other people's force to throw them into walls and just break their arms and stuff. Like, very cinematic. Uh, then came the 90s. And came On Deadly Ground, which Steven himself directed. Again, because, like, he'd been kind of through the mill enough times where he's like, yeah, I, I know how action movies are made. I know this happens. You just get some close-ups of, you know, some some Aikido. You put some explosions in. You have a bad guy. And, you know, it writes itself. And then you got a guy to put it together later. And if you don't like what the first guy does, you fire him and you get another guy. That's how the Chapo podcast works. <laughs> Bre- Brendan is our 80th producer, but uh, the rest uh, the rest are buried underneath a tenement in Brooklyn. You go through producers like Spinal Tap goes through drummers. <laughs> oh, one thing that I should interject based on something that Felix said about um, Seagal uh, telling the viewers at home that he's an Italian guy with a ponytail and a kimono. He isn't even fucking Italian. That's just one of the many things that he has lied about. Because... Wait, I didn't even know this. No, it's true because um, he's, I guess, um, you know, one of the one of the many interesting tidbits about Seagal is that he, um, he his longtime producer um, Julius Nasso is like a pretty mobbed up guy from Staten Island, who at one time was telling people that he and Seagal were related. And, Why would you uh, do that? I, you got me. And then, uh, and then uh, that's so awesome. And then Steven Seagal was going around telling people he was Italian. I think probably because he wanted some of that, like uh, you know, mob rub off glamour. Yeah. But yeah, apparently, according to uh, his biographical info, the at probably factual stuff. His mother's of English, German, and Dutch ancestry, and his father was the son of Russian Jews who moved to the U.S. So. Not Italian. Not Italian. He's, he's he's one of my guys. He's a uh, Russian and uh, Slavic Jew. Oh, Russian Jew. There you he's go. He's right. one of me. I'm also mistaken for Italian. I've never claimed to be Italian. <laughs> oh my God, maybe you're related to Seagal. <laughs> you should. Well, I mean, there really aren't that. that many Russian Jews. I mean, like, think about how many Russian Jews were killed in the 20th century. Like, we're probably <laughs> yeah. And most of the ones left are related, and. Uh, that would be pretty cool. I think you what, heard it here first. I think what you should do is uh is you should challenge him to a fight like that one stuntman did, and then like you know when he tries to fight you, just choke him out to unconsciousness. Yeah, a judo judo Jean LaBelle, who was Ronda Rousey's judo one of Ronda Rousey's judo coaches, famously choked alleges that he choked Steven Seagal unconscious and made him uh made him go pee pee on himself. <laughs> He didn't use a bowl of water or nothing. It's just through no. the power of ninjutsu. Well, you do, you do like, if you your bowels are really full and you get choked unconscious, you do release. Huh. If you, like, if you get choked against, I mean, there are only a few situations where you get choked consensually, I guess, but like. <laughs> Ask David Carradine. Oh, wait, you can't. If you're really fighting it, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that you'd go out, but uh, it's like a fight or flight thing. But, uh. Yeah, so before On Deadly Ground, like, people said, 
every director was like Steven Seagal is awful to work with, which <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. No. Even the director Von Deadly Ground would agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, who is this asshole? I want him off the set. There's no charisma. Just, I'm getting nothing back from this guy. Can we recast him? He's like a he's like a budgie, like trying to fight its reflection in a mirror. <laughs> he's well. He's uh, maybe he's a Gemini, also like me. But uh, oh, he so true. Oh, the worst. <laughs> so if you watch like all these other Seagal movies, they definitely follow a formula. Like there's. Some of it is symptomatic to 80s and 90s action movies, but most of it is, like, very Seagal, no matter what director he worked with. And that was to say that, like, there's a scene near the beginning where some, like, you know, mobbed-up guy or, like, fed or drug dealer or just any assorted thug or cretin goes up to Steve and he's, like, you know, either, like, yeah, nice ponytail, you asshole, or, uh, hey, yeah. Or, you know, the the most fa- the thing that you do in every action movie before, I guess, like, about 2002, which is we establish our main character when a guy is like, hey, are you, you, uh, are you, are you being gay with your boyfriend because you're a gay homosexual? <laughs> <laughs> the worst kind. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, dude, hey, dude, who's bigger than everyone in this bar and, like, has just killed somebody? Are you a gay guy who has sex with men? Hey, dude, don't don't fucking trip over your boyfriend's dick when you take it out of your mouth, you big homo yeah. queer ass rammer, and then he gets his ass beat. Yeah, they're like, yeah, I hey, mean, no do you homo. wake up on the wrong side of bed with a penis in your ass? <laughs> Would you put your penis in his anus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll try anything once. Uh, so... <laughs> And it seems like it's that kind of writing motif of like, you know, the hero resists the call and that it's like he's not going to go fight this guy who's obviously like baiting him. You could say he's he's a master at baiting him, almost like he's jerking this other guy off in front of yeah, he's a, no, a bar of no, other men. And, and Seagal is no fap. Well, this is, you know, this is biblical. This is Moses. Moses had a destiny and he turned it down. Yeah. And God, God was like, what are you, gay with your boyfriend? <laughs> And Moses was like, fuck you! But, uh, uh, Don't make me kill my uh, own son for you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's like, I mean, there's, you know, this establishes, this establishes Steven as like the ass kicker in all these movies. Then the second thing, which I think is more revealing to the type of guy Seagal is, is that there will be like unbelievably like insane like the supermodel hot woman who's not even the love interest in the movie yeah it's sort of james bond and he doesn't sully himself with that he's too pure to like have like a sex scene with the female lead because i think like overall like the image that he's trying to maintain there is like is he's a peaceful warrior yes exactly yeah like i i will i will you know kick the ass of anyone in this room but first like i'm gonna change their minds about a few things yeah, like yeah, the um, thing... because in the in the scene in the bar, like after he let that um, Native American drunk just get brutalized for about ten minutes. I thought he was a Yana Glanchi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he he lets the guy get brutalized for about ten minutes. I guess because he's he's conflicted or something. But then when he finally starts... uh, maybe he deserves it. Yeah. <laughs> mm. 
But then when he um he finally uh, goes face to face with uh, fake Danny Aiello or whatever and starts like kind of, like slapping his hands and kicking his ass, um, he actually has this weird like Robert Bly drum circle moment of like you know what is a man? Yeah, with your because again like balls get mentioned a lot in that particular scene. I love the ADR yeah. because every time somebody gets hit in the nuts, they literally yell my nuts. <laughs> Yeah, it's so cool. It's uh, awesome. And so this scene, this scene that we're talking about, the scene in the bar with the, with, you know, with the racial bullying and the hand slapping game and the nuts game and what is man, this is so many Seagal motifs. And it's very kind so of going back to the Seagal motif, but, <laughs> but go ahead. What is, he's a very like schoolyard guy because He's not, yeah, he's like a seventh grade guy who lies a lot because, okay, I don't know if you guys have seen Mark for Death, which is from the Seagal Golden Era. One of the most racist movies I've ever seen in my life. And, <laughs> and I know you've watched a lot of racist movies, Felix. I'm the, I subscribe to Netflix Racist, it's $100 <laughs> a month, and it's just all Al Jolson movies. But, uh,. It's about Seagal fighting Jamaicans, and <laughs> it reminds, like... What a bummerclot. <laughs> it sort of clues in the kind of psychosis that you'd have in this movie, because... So the Chicago police department in that movie has, like, just this woman who's, like, her job is that she's an expert on Jamaican people. <laughs> but she's, like... I got my PhD in Jamaica, man. Yeah. She's, like... <laughs> She's, like, this insanely hot English woman, and, like, the moment she sees, like, Seagal has to go to, like, whatever fucking bullshit museum she works in, despite being a cop, and he's like, tell me about what these people do, <laughs> like, you know, and she goes, in, you know, just total bullshit, like, you know, oh, in Jamaican culture, uh, the skull symbolizes death, but after, like, just five minutes of this idiocy, she goes... She's like, so you're the perfect man. Are you married or gay? Because you're the you're perfect in every way. And it's like, no, he's like, kind of rude and <laughs> like taciturn and seems kind of stupid. She's and... right though, because obviously, the most perfect man is the homosexual because he does not sully himself with, with a company of the women, female yeah. void. Yeah, right. That's thank you, Doctor Freud. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, Doctor Dave Sim. Oh, okay. <laughs> It makes you think, though, because this is this is half of Seagal, that he's like this seventh grade kid who's bigger than everybody but kind of fat and just sort of full of shit. He's like, yeah. The, 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 he's like the kind the, of kid who like brings ninja stars to school. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, this is my dad and the CIA guy is for me. And, you know, the nurse at school, she totally wants to fuck me and all the substitute teachers. But I wouldn't do that. So they're fucking nasty. So that's why I I only just Frenched her, and then you know yeah. she gave me your phone number, but I'm not going to call that's, her. But he sort of sublimates this very seventh grade mindset into this sort of pan Asian mysticism bullshit, which we see in the scene because he's like, this guy in the bar is just being the biggest piece of shit. He's just like beating the shit out of this defenseless guy, completely racist completely racist reasons i thought and it would have been more subtle than that but no. yeah 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 but seagal is just like how do you know if a man is good or bad <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't i think it's pretty pretty obvious here but yeah so he plays the hand slapping game with him and then just fucking beats him in the nuts 
And first, my favorite part about this scene is when he beats the guy up. This guy's an oil worker, and he's, like, bullying people with his oil worker friends. And after he does it, one of the oil workers in the background goes, Oh, hell no, you don't fuck with the oil workers! <laughs> in a nice little bit of ADR. Yeah, yeah. You don't fuck yeah. with us, we're in a union, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, in, they're in the racism union. Yeah. So, is this more racist than, like, Birth of a Nation? (laughs) (laughs) Which we will no doubt cover on a future episode. Right, yeah. I don't know how the fuck we would get away with that, but it would be pretty funny. I don't know. But I love, like, the culmination of this scene, too, because it isn't just, like, you know, that regular macho tough guy. Because, like, uh, Steven Seagal is trying so hard to be, like, more than just a tough guy. Like, because he's trying to be, like, um, not not just beat up the guy and, like, you know, discard him. But he like he wants to change like you know the the violence in, inherent in man, and, th- and so that's how he gets you know fake Danny Aiello to be like you know what what does it take you know to, to change like the essence of man, and finally like he he comes around like like he's had like this therapy session yeah, and it's like through like tears and like a bloody nose he's just like time, I need time. <laughs> <laughs> do they, do know, they hug after this or? You know several punishing blows to the sack will do that to a man yeah i mean hell i'll agree to just about anything (laughs) and it's interesting because um one of the things that i didn't want to touch on with this episode is that thematically this movie is kind of interesting in light of the bulk of action movies up to that time which usually are incredibly reactionary in their point of view yeah i mean just look at like um... oh yeah well you know it's like um you know you got your your john milius for example, of uh, Red Dawn. Yeah, like the Death Wish franchise, like that. Uh, yeah. That I want to say, Harry. like that's like Patient Zero for the like good guy with a gun myth. Yeah. I want to say. Yeah, and um, it's not not that this movie is a, a masterpiece of wokeness by any stretch of the imagination, but just the fact that it has an anti-corporate environmentalist message makes it this weird outlier. Um, but do you find that do you find those themes extend to other Seagal movies, or is this one just like an anomaly? Other Seagal movies, I mean, they have this sort of boilerplate anti-authority message. But in Above the Law, Above the Law is like an incredibly woke movie, considering it was made in 1986. Seagal's character is this former CIA guy. And he's running up against this sort of this group of uh, ex-intelligence guys who are running drugs. So it's kind of like Deep Cover, which is actually one of the most woke movies of all time. But uh, Deep Cover with uh, Jeff Goldblum, Lawrence Fishburne. Fishburne, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's the scene towards the end where you know the main bad guy has Seagal like tied up, or no, the before they get him tied up, they're meeting on a rooftop, and Seagal goes. Yeah, you know what? Our prisons are filled with people who they killed one or two people, they robbed somebody. Hey, maybe some of them deserve it. But how many guys do we know, you know, when we were in the CIA, that killed 30, 40, 50,000 people for no fucking reason? And I was, Holy I remember shit. watching, I, <laughs> it was fucking awesome. I like, I, that's why I got in Seagal in the first place. I watched that when I was like 14, and I was like, Holy shit! This is awesome because, you know, I was so used to these movies being so reactionary. But he makes this point that isn't even 
just liberal or you know just sort of progressive it's like anti-imperialist yeah, like exactly. openly talking about cia war crimes in vietnam and you're like wow this guy this is fucking awesome yeah but, and he speaks against the carceral state yes <laughs> like how many action yeah. movies do that and it's like i mean in the rest of that sort of dies out in his other movies and if you watch one of his movies today, like the modern era Seagal, I think sort of started with On Deadly Ground because it was the start of him just under being the auteur Steven Seagal, putting these things in every movie, making every character basically the same, even modifying his voice to a point. But he does have kind of like a little um, temper tantrum in like in the like old guy's cabin later in the the film and like towards the I think the end of the second act when before they go to to blow up Aegis one yeah and yeah where he like has where he kind of uh, reads the riot act to um to his Eskimo friend about uh, you know that woman about I I forget the context of the speech because I just remember I was, or the content of the speech because I'm just like oh this is a this is the message of the movie that he's trying to get across oh when he he um is before he goes into like a secret closet of ammunition yeah it's yeah 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 it's a it's a magnificent series of line reads too yeah Yeah, very natural because that was the point where i turned to you and i'm just like this this character hasn't like no arc no there's no drama here he has zero arc and like he's this very hardline environmentalist guy who's very anti-corporate and has a like actually pretty like if you made a stupid person explain the chomsky concept of manufactured consent it would sound like <laughs> the speeches in this movie <laughs> but it's also like well wait like why were you like why were you working for an oil company yeah <laughs> like what why did you like personally why are you like friends with the evil oil ceo <laughs> did you just like start believing in this shit last week <laughs> like what's what's Zealand going on here he started listening yeah. to chapo trap house <laughs> you know i don't really like the racism on the show <laughs> <laughs> You need to you need to speak to a medicine man in an Inuit hut, and he'll set you straight. <laughs> but don't fuck the hot chick. Go towards oh the my old God. crone. I was just gonna say, talk about a lot going on here. I think we were both about to bring up the spirit spirit journey scene. Yeah, yeah as a a favorite a favorite theme in uh, uh, Western cinema, which is the uh, spirit quest of the anointed white man. I mean, we could we could spend a whole episode unpacking that. Yeah, and again, like it, this fits with his like asexual sort of perfect man nature, and that he isn't even sullied sullied by like desire or like yeah. you know base motives. It's like here's like you know this nude woman doing the sexy dance. I'm like, no, I gotta talk to this old lady with the rattle. I love it too because like that um the chick uh the native chick with the long hair like writhing around. She looks like um the one of those greeting cards they sell in truck stops. <laughs> of like uh, you know like a really a really uh, sexy oil painting of like a hot indian woman who looks like pocahontas from the disney movie but like with her tits out and she's like petting a bear rug or something <laughs> yeah th- that scene is awesome and i mean it does speak to this larger thing in these movies and it just 
mean, it's like uh, the Bat- Batman kind of. It's like just white guy goes to any culture we associate as Asian or old and starts doing their stuff. And, oh, wow, he's better than any of them at that. That's Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai. That's, you know, that's fucking everyone. Well, but Dances uh, with Wolves, that's another popular one. Avatar. Another Oscar-winning one. Yeah, Avatar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what? But it's Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. That shit pile. My f- what a, I hate that movie so fucking That's, much. But it's so overrated. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a terrible message too. The the bad guys won. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there were no good guys in that movie, but all of come on, no one was a good guy. But uh, fucking uh, so I think this does represent an arc, but it's a flat arc. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense because nothing nothing really spurs it. There's no there's. So you notice at the beginning of the movie where they go to the the fucked up rig, Seagal goes, how, how much is it worth? And, you know, they talk about how much money the company could be making from this, from their regulatory loopholes and all this shit. And Seagal goes, uh, I'd fuck anything for $40,000. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is supposed to establish him as sort of like this jaded soldier of fortune type character. But within like 45 minutes, he... <laughs> He's like, I actually would not fuck a woman for zero dollars. <laughs> and that's yeah, like in in within like in forty minutes, he's singing about how he can paint with all the colors of the wind and shit. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and he's like as like that spirit quest and like that crow shows up or or eagle or whatever. Yeah, a really beautiful montage, which again is like something that you would buy in a gift shop in Gallup, New Mexico. Yeah. You know, like, uh, there's lots of intercutting of, like, him fighting a bear, and then, like, yeah. him running real fast and looking kind of weird. Oh, and he fights that bear. <laughs> yeah, he, like, stabs his fucking bear in the neck. <laughs> yeah, I need, like, a like a velvet painting of a wolf in a dream catcher. Like, that, that's what that scenery means for me. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really, like, Old Town Albuquerque yeah. aesthetic. I mean, just the first, and I think... I think I tweeted this at you, Felix. Like, I... Just the first shot of Seagal, when they introduce him, and his feet hit the ground from the helicopter, and then they pan up, and I just started laughing. Yeah, you just lost it at that suede fringe jacket with, like, the <laughs> embroidery. Like, the, the native beads. Like, I was I was crying. I was laughing so hard. And so it's hysterical. Because it's like the, it's like the combination of the... Um, the ridiculously like appropriated like quote-unquote native getup com- like uh, next to his like completely inert face <laughs> yeah. and like his utter like self-seriousness and i just like my my whole i got like an ab workout just from laughing at that <laughs> scene i swear to god and the other thing on top of that as well is it took felix <clears throat> explaining that um that Steven Seagal's character had an arc in this movie that I was like, oh, he's supposed to have changed from how he was in the beginning. <laughs> I didn't notice because he, like, he looks, acts, and uh, talks the same at the end of the movie that he does at the beginning. And I'm like, oh, I didn't notice that he was supposed to undergo some kind of radical transformation. Yeah, and it doesn't help that Seagal is an actor who is less expressive than Keanu Reeves. That certainly doesn't help. No, it doesn't. But, um, yeah, and it's weird because, like, you get the impression that he's, like, super chummy with, like, Michael Caine's evil CEO. 
Yeah, and that's the only way that he could have risen to this position where he can, like, you know, speak truth to power, I guess. Yeah. Because even then, like, before Michael King goes to some, you know, meeting that he has after getting oil dumped on him, again, like, that's where he makes that case. He's like, how, how, much, how much more money do you need? Like, how much is enough? And <laughs> although I don't think he even had an answer to that, which I think, you know, is kind of lacking. Like, in terms <clears throat> of, you know, just keep uh, entertaining the audience, like, have have an answer to that. Like, have a, give Michael Caine's character a point of view. Well, didn't he please. just, like, walk away saying he needed to change his clothes? Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, I guess no, the screen said, is like, eh, I don't know, I don't know. He have said, uh, I need to get out of these clothes. Oh, it was a come on. Yeah, and I was like, whoa, is he? did he just invite him to fuck? <laughs> now I think we know what their character history is. That's why there's such... Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's why it's awkward. Yeah, because they like know each other <laughs> yeah. really well, but they dated. So like, yeah. does that explain why uh, Michael Caine's hair is dyed the same color as Steven Seagal's? Yeah, they go to the same stylist. It's like a single white female thing. You know? <laughs> That's why there's such like how... animosity at the end of it. Animosity I... of what? love turns sour. <laughs> I was most mystified by Michael Caine's M- Michael Caine's character because it's like. In the first 35 minutes about, it's like, he's trying to do some sort of, like, genericized Texas accent. Yeah. And it just, it's like McNulty in the wire, where it just breaks every third word. But then by the end, he's like, I'm a bloody oilman. <laughs> you, you, are you your right parts with your Inuit friends? <laughs> and then he walks into the burning oil rig, and he's like, you were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. <laughs> <laughs> this may, it may see now I want to see Steve Coogan's interpretation of Michael Caine's character <laughs> Steve Coogan is Michael Caine in On Deadly Ground <laughs> uh, the pacing of this movie I made me go back to Seagal as like you know the, the 14 year old liar in school because the pacing it's exactly like it's the pacing of a string of lies that a 14 year old tells you. <laughs> That's why there's no real character arc, even though the lines tell us that there's supposed to be one. That's why he like becomes the best native American ever in the span of like two hours. That's why he like changes the racist guy's heart in the bar. That's why he decides to kill his boss that he like sort of begrudgingly worked for. That's why he goes from being like an environ like a firefighter or whatever, or the guy who lied for the company or whatever, to just just being a guy who makes speeches about the environment to town halls. That's why this all happened because it's like it's this is how a liar is. They establish their lie, whether it's like their dads in the fucking CIA or the you know they learn ninjutsu or like you know the this one woman at school wants to fuck them. Yeah, like I have but a gun. It, like I can't show it to you, but I have one. Exactly, <laughs> exactly it. it. Yeah. The I can't show you it is the most important part because a liar will always sort of like when they feel like you're going to like ask a follow up or like demand some <laughs> corroborating evidence they're going to give you a reason why they can't or why circumstance prevented it you know whether it's like yeah this woman wants to fuck me but she's uh she's mad that I don't want to fuck her so she acts like the opposite actually <laughs> or uh you know i uh, my dad's in the CIA, but he's... Uh, oh, yeah. Of course, I can't tell you. Like, it's secret. Like you know. Yeah, I can't tell you, and he's not talking to me now because I got better at shooting guns than him. <laughs> <laughs> this is... 
where you go through the entire story, the entire lie, and it doesn't change anything about your interactions with this person because there is nothing. There is no ability. There is no secret. There is no extra privilege that this person has or can do for you now. They're the same person, but in their mind, they've risen in your eyes. So that's what this movie is. Like, he's like, oh, I'm an environmentalist now, or, you know, I've seen the nature of man, but his character is exactly the same. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I, I'm movie. still a badass, though. Don't forget. Yeah, Yeah, because he, exactly. he murders, like, dozens of people. And again, that's the thing <laughs> that I think is kind of like, it works against him in terms of him being a hero. Like, he fights... You know, all the guards on Aegis 1, which is this oil rig, that in order to prevent it from polluting the environment, he's going there to blow it up, <laughs> which I don't quite understand the logic of. Yeah, like, thank God it won't spill any oil into the bay. Like, you know, it'll just, like, belch all that fucking, like, yeah, all those toxins into the atmosphere. It's going to be like the end of the Gulf War. Yeah, rather than do it eventually, <laughs> it'll do it immediately. And then we can at least finally suss all this out. But, like, so he's going through killing all those guards and killing, you know, people who work for a living. You can make the same kind of, con- you know, general contractors <laughs> working on the Death Star argument. But, like, there's one shot in particular because this is this movie is, is bloody, like, Total Recall is bloody, I want to say. But there's there's a, a part where he defeats a guy with a knife, but he like stabs him in the eye. And I'm like, this is our hero? <laughs> like Oh, he always he always does that. Whenever there's a knife fight in the Seagal movie, he shoves it through the guy's head. He did it to Tommy Lee Jones and in Under Siege. He does it like he did it a like four times in Mark for Death. He loves that move. There were hmm. uh, and you know, me being Because a knife is like a giant bullet. Yeah. Like, I mean, stab yeah. you with a bullet. Uh, the knife is his penis. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's very phallic. I did enjoy the kills in this movie because there were some gnarly oh, ones. Oh, they're cool. You know, like when he, um, like, he doesn't just, like, push a guy away from him. He, like, throws him onto, like, a wooden stake that's sticking up the guy's Oh, yeah. He's like, yeah. Sharpen those branches. And it's funny, too, because it's such a cheap. Well, it's it is a cheap shot, but also like it's a cheap film shot because it's like you it's one of him pushing the guy over and another he's already like laying in the branches like oh yeah anyway the effects guy set up this dummy to have yeah. sticks in him oh and one thing. that's another Seagal trademark really yeah the, yes it is impaled on spikes or the um poor uh like cut to action thing impaled on spikes oh. impaled on spike it's a good one oh. it really gives you that punch yeah. now one thing I should point out and that I think is another um may be another Seagal trait is that um, there's a long sequence of our hero and Joan Chen like going into the wilderness on horseback and they're being chased by a posse on horseback led by Arlie Army and Arlie John Army, C. Yeah. McGinley. Yeah. Kind of a waste of Arlie Army, but whatever. Yeah, he, um, you know exactly why he got hired. Well, yeah, because yeah. of his extemporaneous spe- speaking skills. Right. Um, one thing I did notice is that as... as much as time as he spends loading the trail with explosives, not one horse gets killed. Huh. And apparently, Seagal is an animal rights person. Uh, yeah, of course. It, well, it fits the image that he wants to build for himself. Yeah, like, yeah. he'll like yeah. he'll shove a fucking buck knife through a guy's head, but he won't lame a horse. That would be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but think of all those uh, those kids in school cafeterias going hungry. <laughs> well, all this should be vegan anyway. Yeah, right. 
It's a shame too, like because there are you know well there are um, likable actors in this because you know there's mm-hmm. Arlie Ermy just basically playing himself. Yes. Um, there's, Why else would you hire him? Yeah, John McGinley, who who you'll probably know from Scrubs, but yeah. he was also he had a, a minor part in um, Seven of all movies. But he's it, had he's had a decent uh, character actor. Oh career. yeah, and he's one of the the two Bobs from Office Space. Oh yeah, yes, what yeah. would you say you do? Yeah, here? <laughs> yeah. So and he was good. And um, what isn't he billed like third or fourth? Uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton, and who we forgot about until he shows up well into the third act. Yeah, has a line of dialogue, has he, another line of dialogue. He has like then a gets whole, killed. Yeah, he has <laughs> this whole like he's a very charismatic actor. And yeah. again, like like you mentioned, like oh, I forgot he was fat then. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, he, he's just there, and it's like him and another guy, and it's like we need to fill some time where we need to give your character something to do. So it's just mm-hmm. the two of them just kind of bsing about how to like hold a gun properly and like how like the it's like they're workshopping their characters. Yeah, and it it kind of shows you like, and the movie is like very awkwardly directed, just to put say it mildly. stupid, and um, the way that that shot is set up because again. Billy Bob Thorne is billed high up in the credits. Yeah. But he doesn't even get a decent introduction shot. He's shot, like, in a medium two shot with this other guy, like, from the Who side. We don't know, yeah. And you're, like, looking at him, you're like, oh, like, oh, it's Billy Bob Thornton. Like, he doesn't even get a close-up to introduce him. And he being Billy Bob, like, you know, again, being, like, a charismatic actor, yeah. you know, infuses his line with, like, you know, character. Yeah, and you're like, you think kind of this guy is going to gonna yeah. play... I'm like, maybe he's going to play a role in the third act. Like, that's weird. Because yeah. we haven't met him before. But, you know. But, nope. Yeah, but then... He gets killed. Then they they take an elevator ride up, and then he's blown up. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> so, Enough of that. Yeah. But, um... Joan Chen. And then there's that woman playing, like, the, the, the bitch henchman. Uh, sorry, yeah. henchwoman, I guess. Yeah. Oh, who yeah, is- yeah. The sort of ice-cold corporate ice queen yeah well she's got her hair up so you know she's evil yeah she's definitely a bitch right i liked i liked uh when uh michael kane like before michael kane's character is killed and he like steven and uh joan chan are there and michael kane is basically like uh this is the ugliest fucking bitch i've ever seen (laughs) and it's like well first that's like not germane to the plot at all or his character and it's also like what like Joan Chen's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, he's what? just that racist that yeah. he can't appreciate yeah. how he's vast. Well, he's judging by like a British standard. They have a different. Oh, yeah. boy, I guess. They do. Yeah. Just <laughs> being not white. Although, if you've seen, um, he's got hardly have, any jumblies. Have you seen? Uh... That's not even true. That's not even true. <laughs> <laughs> She's giant jumblies. Have you seen uh, who Michael Caine is married to in real life? She's fucking gorgeous. You don't say. Well, yeah, I guess he lucked out. Like, cause um, you know, my <laughs> sure, of course he's. I, oh I, wow! I love Michael Caine, and like he's he's like a charismatic guy, and yeah. like you know he wasn't bad looking when he was young, but then you look at the woman he married, you're like, holy shit! My uncle, my uncle, my uncle, not just looks like Michael Caine now, like they both look like him, <laughs> but they have always looked exactly alike. <laughs> And he had, but, he had a Cockney uh, accent for some reason. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love Michael Caine, and I remember him talking about, like, you know, he he's like a really hard Northern English guy, and 
you know, I like him even though he's a Tory. You can't change, you know. <laughs> That's whatever. true. Well, you know, it's like but, I, st- I uh, still love my dad, even though um, he's to the right of Pinochet. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's like, his dad was, like, such a hard, like, English asshole that he was, like, he thought that if men eat chicken, that means they're gay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty hard. That's <laughs> and and a chicken I is just, a cock. You eat cock. Yeah. It's a, it, it, like, I can't even begin to comprehend that. But it's. I feel like that's sort of like the universe of masculinity that Seagal's movies take place in. Kind of puts uh, yeah. um, uh, Mel Gibson's No Fish on Fridays thing in, in context, I guess. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much less drastic. Yeah, we could, we we sure could do a whole episode about Mel Gibson's concepts of masculinity, couldn't we? Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> Michael Gibson, like, he was born, you know, just like how we were like Rod Dreher should have just been like one of those Tumblr teens who's like asexual. <laughs> that's instead of just being a raging asshole like he is now, because they didn't have a word to describe what he was back then when he was a kid. Mel Gibson should have been a Pepe guy. Yeah. Yeah, he should have. That's really what he is. He's like a he's like a guy who has no prospects of marriage or anything who posts on Twitter about being a traditionalist. <laughs> <laughs> the ass is <laughs> only for thing. taking a shit. I don't care what you say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like um if Crypto if a Pepe, the pretty much like all. if a Pepe guy was like a of a uh, really gifted filmmaker. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, Gibson. like the most talented Pepe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shit, you know that's another episode topic. That's we could the do. rarest Pepe. The rarest. The, the talented a Pepe yeah. with actual talent yeah. is the rarest Pepe. Well, I mean, if you look at, I don't think there can really be that talented Pepes now because they just like they they hate the modern world, but like they also wouldn't survive. Like they wouldn't adapt to anything but the modern world because they can only live with like the instant gratification of like porn and fucking Grubhub and shit. <laughs> but think about like Mel Gibson's actually a fucking awesome director. No, he is. And, and so is John Milius. And both those guys are like kind of Pepe, but it's because they like grew up before computers and they're like, Oh, I guess I have to like do something. And so it turned out they were just really good at it. But like a guy, a guy now who's a Pepe, like he's, he can just like not do anything. Like he can just play video games forever. So there's, I mean, unfortunately just not going to be another great Pepe director. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, uh, I feel like Mel Gibson could legitimately like spend his time recreating like the cock and ball torture pick from Robert Maplethorpe's uh, X portfolio and be like perfectly happy doing that. He would love that. I mean, he's, he's like, Mel Gibson is like one of those Catholics who's like, wants Torquemada to be a saint. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing he is, he just is that, loves misery. And speaking as an ex Catholic, when you're depraved by Catholic standards, yeah. that's some intense shit right there. <laughs> Even the Satan's like, you know, you gotta back off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Getting back to Seagal. Oh, um, must we? uh, This is a far more interesting topic. This is a very rich discussion with many layers. Um, One thing that I absolutely had to mention, Mm -hmm. and we really need to give credit to Steven Seagal for this, because he prefigured an inconvenient truth with the end of the film. Yeah. Because it's basically him giving a PowerPoint yeah, about the, the film man destroying the earth. 
And again, this is what, like a decade beforehand? Yes. It was in 94. Yeah. That's insane to make this movie in 94. I mean, a lot of the stuff he says is correct. It's just, it's funny because this oaf is saying it. Well, also, um, we have, there, the point when Tim and I just like died laughing was when he was talking about, you know, different types of engines which are being suppressed by well, the ones oil that could company. Run on, engines run on, like... that can run on garbage or even water. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, and Tim was like, he mentioned the fucking water engines. <laughs> like the again, like the holy grail of like you know like alternative fuel conspiracy theorist people. Oh yeah, no, and I believe in a few of those. Like there was a guy who made an alternative fuel engine in the seventies, and I do believe he got killed by the DOD. Yeah, that's another podcast. What's the, what's the guy's name? Because I, I feel in. like I heard of this guy. Yeah, I I need to look it up, but uh, DM me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure there's a cracked uh, but, article about it. Probably. Yeah. But the water engine is like the biggest bullshit thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. what they need. It's they so need stupid. a car that can run on bullshit. <laughs> and an endless supply of that. So I want to know: Is On Deadly Ground the prequel to Loose Change? <laughs> Is that where they thought they'd take it next? That would be awesome if Seagal did a movie where he finds out uh, that the government did 9-11. You know, legitimately, you know, we, you guys, we could probably, if we took, like, if we did it, we could do it in a 24-hour sessions. We could write a direct-to-video movie where a character played by Steven Seagal discovers that the government did 9-11. And, and then, that'd be and, great yeah we, we can have we can have michael moore direct it yeah i mean we could write it. it doesn't have to be good no it has to like fill a certain amount of like digital space you know <laughs> like on wherever you get your like straight to video content yeah look if it's 70 <laughs> minutes i think netflix will pick it up <laughs> yeah, exactly they should mel gibson and steve bannon should get the band back together and do an anti-semitic 9-11 movie with Seagal. <laughs> I know that they called you and told you not to come into work that day, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Just the trailer alone. Of course, how would we finance it? Because, you know. Steve Bannon's rich. I guarantee. Steve Bannon's a Coke guy. And if you tell, like, any Coke guy you sell an idea to him well enough when he's zooted, <laughs> he'll, like, just give you a blank check. Like, Steve. Both him and Mel are loaded. I would just. Him, like. Uh, him, Mel, and fucking just like any Saudi prince who hates Jews. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. They would all be in. I w- yeah. You know, even easily, if we just no um, like either Felix or Tim could play like a James O'Keefe style like guerrilla filmmaker who's like always trying to pr- who's trying to prove that like um, Planned Parenthood sells like baby parts. Yeah. You know, and I could be like I could be like a. a anti-abortion activist or like who regretted her like 12 abortions and now is working for pro-life causes or something oh and you know and, yeah and, and which is we try to like it's a shame because tr- the 13th one is free <laughs> <laughs> oh man i almost filled out my and, card oh yeah <laughs> that's why seagal comes in is because like we're trying to like you know expose uh parentheses them and but we keep getting <laughs> We keep getting beaten up because we're not, you know, Aikido men. Yeah. we have. And then Seagal, who's like this jaded warrior, and he's like, I don't care about what you think the fucking truth is. And then, like, we show him our Planned Parenthood videos, and he's like, this is some fucked up shit. 
You guys, I think we could legitimately become great filmmakers in the vein of Dinesh D'Souza. Easily. Well, so look, someone's paying for Dinesh D'Souza's movies. We could easely do this like all 9-11 ones. I know, and you know, somebody, somebody's obviously propping up the Weekly Standard, you know? Yeah. They're all these deep-pocketed right-wing fucks, you know? Well, think about this. Where does all that money for, like, the Deeply Standard and Dinesh D'Souza, like, not to be homeless, basically, come from? It, it comes from, like, generational wealth of, like, fucked-up people who've always been rich and are, like just love these dumbass causes but this next generation of those kids are their brains are just gonna be totally fucking rattled by conspiracy theories and shit i, th- I think if we call our production company the the center for american filmmaking already like we're halfway there <laughs> yeah thumbs up from bill crystal yeah <laughs> Unfortunately, if Bill Crystal predicts success, that means that we're going under in like less than a year. So, oh. be careful. We're just due for a correction. That's yeah. All. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was something else that I wanted to talk about with uh, Seagal, and um, it's almost like you can't separate his real life persona from his movies because his real life persona is so ridiculous. Um, there's been some good writing about him uh, in Vanity Fair, for example. You know, which kind of uh, detailed the unraveling relationship between him and his longtime producer, um, Jules uh, Nasso, I think Vern. the guy's name is. No. Vincent? Yeah, close. All right. um, but, you know, again, one of the things that I mentioned about Seagal is, you know, the guy's just like an inveterate liar. And one of the many things that he's lied about, supposedly, is that... Um, you know, he gave the impression... Seagal has given the impression that he studied with the guy who started Aikido, which can't be true because if that were true, he would have been living alone in Japan when he was, like, 14 or something like that because the guy who started Aikido died in, like, 1969. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was, he was like, the best child Aikido man ever. <laughs> <laughs> it was the early karate kid. It was the Aikido kid. Oh, yeah, that movie is totally based on me. Like, not a lot of know that. I don't, I don't like to tell anyone, but, you know, it's true. <laughs> but um, that's another thing which is um, that Seagal's kind of taken a lot of shit from from people in, in the know, including um, the guy who choked him out. And I've heard other people saying it, is that he is he has inflated a great deal like his uh, oh, martial arts. Oh, he's inflated, arts. all right. <laughs> his martial arts achievements. And I was wondering, Felix, if you had any insight on that. Oh, right. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about Aikido, to be honest. Um, it's a traditional martial art, and I think traditional martial art means just, you know, it's hundreds or even thousands of years old. And it, those are usually far East Asian arts. And some of those are, like, very, very useful in MMA, you know. Uh, Shotokan karate, for instance, other forms of karate. Judo, though judo isn't really ancient, I guess. It's not really traditional. It's pretty modern, I guess. But uh, Aikido is, it's kind of weird. It's sort of like a Tai Chi type thing. It's about a lot about redirecting your opponent's energy and shit like this. Yeah, it's, and, like an, it's a non-confrontational kind of martial yeah. art. And I'll put it this way, I've never seen an MMA champion whose, like, background is in Aikido, but from, I mean, I've never seen anything to suggest Seagal is, like, stealing valor. Like, he's, as far as, like, doing Aikido, he's, like, good at doing Aikido. How 
useful that is in a fight i don't know but hey sometimes people just like doing stuff like it's you look at the moves and they seem fun to do well and like you said if not all the most practical as well you know yeah. i would imagine that um you know movie martial arts while they might draw from actual martial arts or probably like anything else which is on screen it's somewhat um it's like what's the coolest looking choreographed. Thing. Yeah. yeah exactly but um and that's one thing about Seagal is that, you know, if you say that, um, you know, Aikido maybe isn't the most useful as, like, a fighting art necessarily, or, you know, like, maybe isn't a basis for MMA or the other fighting arts, um, one of the bullshit stories that Seagal has told is that he, like, trained, like, CIA people. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> There's no way that's true. Like, what what would he teach them? <laughs> Yeah, because, um... Fashion sense? I don't know. Uh, yeah. No, definitely not. <laughs> like, oh, like, take this uh, chair cover from a dim sum restaurant, right. make it into a jacket. <laughs> this is how you blend in. First you get your black crocodile skin boots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No one will ever make you as an agent. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, like, unless um, Seagal was hanging out at the School of the Americas or something, like... <laughs> I think he's too woke for it. I think he was too woke to do it because I think some of those things that he said in uh, Above the Law, that was how he actually feels. He's, Seagal is an anti-imperialist. He's a tanky. <laughs> and he, he's so he's like a me. lunatic is what you're saying. <laughs> he's a lunatic. He's, a complete, he's completely out of his mind. Again, like, well, here's the thing that I find interesting, or, or maybe unique, because I think interesting is maybe giving him too much credit. Here's the thing I find unique about Steven Seagal's persona and character, in that he presents himself as kind of like, again, like this this woke, lefty, environmentalist, lone wolf, cabin in the woods, badass. And, like, I think that those two things are just so much at odds with each other that he's just trying to create, like, this sort of homunculus character that doesn't really appeal to, like, left or right leaning audiences well or maybe it's something which kind of goes down like a side road politically because he does apparently live in the woods like the unabomber okay so that whole scene with him with his stockpile of grenades and c4 <laughs> and whatnot that that was just his regular house yeah and maybe he's an anarchist maybe he's one of those anarchists who really likes uh, kaczynski which i'm sympathetic to Okay, look, third crazy thing I'm going to say on the show. Kaczynski had a lot of good points. <laughs> so is Steven Seagal, like, is he kind of like a, a, a compassionate anarchist then? Although that's a, that's a libertarian, ideally. I mean, a self-styled. I don't know what you'd call him. I mean, I think if you asked Seagal what he believes, he'd tell you some just absolutely harebrained shit. Like, you know, I'm a... I'm an internationalist, uh, uh, internationalist, pan-worldist, but not a globalist. Well, yeah, like, his his philosophy is, like, the philosophy of, like, most people when it comes to politics. Because, you know, like, um, I, you know, I feel like, you know, those of us speaking right now in conversation consider ourselves, like, pretty well-informed, you know, well-educated. Yeah. I'm, and, I'm you not. Know, have a, you know, we have a grasp on different schools of political thought right you know but then like most people when they get political you know i mean i've met people who don't can't even define a libertarian but they know it they hate it you know i think that no, like Seagal... people don't know the difference between a leftist and a liberal 
I mean, Seagal, Seagal is like 63 now. But I think if you got to him like in his 20s or even 30s, you probably could have molded him into a socialist. Like if you pushed him along, you know? Yeah. If he didn't like, because the problem is that he got famous and it went to his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like, from making like seven good movies, he's like, I've come up with a political system that's going to heal the world. He's one of those guys. (laughs) He's also like, he's also like kind of a piece of shit as a guy. Well, yeah, like the guy has had so many like sexual harassment charges brought against him that they, they, you can't count them after a point. And also, um, (laughs) we haven't even mentioned his, uh, brief foray into, um, reality television. Which was uh, Steven Seagal. Oh, that was awesome. That was awesome because he uh, he would, like, go into bullet time. He was like, I I can slow down. Th-. This is around the time that he started sounding like Billy Crystal Jazzman. Like, he changed his voice after he did all of his movies, movies with Ja Rule and DMX. <laughs> like, he was like, oh, I'm, I'm black now. And so, like, when he did that movie, when he did that show, he'd be like, I can slow down time and see what people are up to. But when he would do it, he would just, like, notice black people who <laughs> were, like, on the street. And they were, like, never doing anything. Or, like, maybe they just, like, had weed on them. But I think Seagal is, like, the kind of dickhead who's, like, just give him a little authority. <laughs> <laughs> he probably have some authoritarian tendencies. Yeah. Well, that's the danger of a... Uh of uh, police actually that's what that's why it's not good to be like non-political because you just end up doing your worst impulses probably yeah you pretty much become all id yeah yeah and um it should also be pointed out that the reason the show uh was canceled after a couple or three seasons is because someone brought a sexual trafficking lawsuit against yeah against him personally yeah. That's, yeah. Like literally there were I th- I think there were production assistants who like complained of actually fucking being trafficked. Huh. By him. A white slavery production assistant ring. Yeah, which is kind of I mean that's like something out of a frigging like Theodore Drazier novel, but Oh, I was yeah. just about to say that. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, like and it was and this guy's had a lot of lawsuits against him dropped, which I don't know if that means that he's like settled them out of court or He went up to them in court and was like, "What makes a man?" But look, I'll drop the suit if you just shut the fuck right. up. Just stop slapping my hands, all right? Fine. <laughs> you chubby lunatic. <laughs> what what motherfucking makes a man? <laughs> Felix, what do you consider the the apex of Seagal's career? Is it uh, Under Siege? It is when Erica Alaniac jumps out of the cake in Under Siege. Well, that yeah. was the apex of her career. Well, though there were two apexes. I noticed. To her career. Poor, poor Erica. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, it would definitely be Under Siege. The most stars in that movie. It's like actually a really fucking good movie in my opinion. Like as far as an action movie. I am a connoisseur of action movies. It is something that I love. And uh, I don't know who had the better tits in that movie though. Erica Laniac or Gary Busey. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh. Isn't, it, isn't the guy with a traumatic brain injury hilarious? <laughs> he's entertaining to me, so, you know, he's, he's doing his job. 
<laughs> he and Randy Quaid should have a like a show together. Oh, you could not insure that for any price. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like the two of them hunting down like you know uh, sexual slave trade uh, uh, production assistants. You know what? Like, don't make it a show. Just like make just put it on youtube like if yeah. get a crew brave enough to follow around gary Busey and randy quaid with, with, a, with cameras like well i've never been stabbed in the course of doing my job so yeah, i'll give it a shot <laughs> <laughs> i look forward to the inevitable uh, article that will appear on long form in the true crime section about the making of that show <laughs> the show that lasted half an episode until the paramedics were <laughs> Felix, have you seen much of uh, his of Seagal's late period oeuvre? Oh yeah, I've seen a ton. I mean, this stuff where stuff where he talks like this. Well, all the movies he's in now are called like you know, Gunman, The Decision, <laughs> Mission Soldier, The Ultimatum, and they're all movies where the they're the same movie where it's like. He, the, there's a younger guy, and by younger, it's like a 40 year old who does all the action scenes, but he's like subservient to Seagal. Like, they, they have to like save a girl from something, and Seagal is like, You gotta do every motherfucking thing that I say. <laughs> and he'll do all the shit, and then it will be, Seagal will like do, he'll spend most of the movie sitting down and then kill like two of the main bad guys in like the slowest moving way possible. And then that will free whatever woman from bondage, whatever Eastern European woman. And then the movie ends with Seagal, like having sex with his leather jacket on (laughs) me and Nick, me and uh, bad boy, Nick, uh, When Nick first got his TV, we watched like we watched like about four of these a day for like two <laughs> weeks, and <That laughs> we just got a ab- cinematic diet. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know the equivalent to eating pop tarts every day, but it, it, it just every movie is like this, and he's such a piece of shit. Like all these like all these women <laughs> who are like twenty eight are like. I've decided that I want to be with you, Steve. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Obviously. Well, you dumb like bitch. It's the same, um, what, Larry Bishop kind of filmmaker. Oh, my God. Too. Oh, yeah, we just, um, we covered Mad Dog Time with uh, your colleague, Matt. And uh, the... The leathery Larry Bishop uh, gave himself a part which enabled him to make out with Angie Everhart. Well, imagine doing that in like 40 movies (laughs) since 2012. (laughs) Basically, there is one – one of my favorite movies from this collection is called uh, The Asian Connection. (laughs) Is it as good as Miami Connection? It's better. It's better than the French Connection. There is a part – there is like – Several scenes where Seagal just like slaps whatever like like hot bikini model chick on the ass to like signify he's about to go have sex with her. <laughs> but throughout the movie, like he has the greatest line <laughs> in one of his recent movies. He's talking to some other dumbass and he goes, you know, 
I've been coming to Asia for 40 years. <laughs> I've been coming to Asia for 40 years. And there's just something about this place that draws me in. And that just, I think, sort of sums up Seagal. I've been coming to Asia. <laughs> if, if, not, I tell you, if you're ever even, in Asia, you I'm, should visit their capital city. Not, not <laughs> even East Asia. Not even, definitely not saying like China or Japan. So just Asia, Asia. the biggest continent. Uh, <laughs> and, and he's saying that this is this. I think sums up late period Seagal more than anything because it's that just a tremendously stupid thing to say. Followed up by, there's just some energy here that draws me back, which is Seagal's entire philosophy, that there's energy he can find in Asia. And then the third thing, that this is sandwiched in between, like, ten scenes of him fucking women who are a third of his age and (laughs) one-tenth of his body weight. (laughs) I've been coming on Asia for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) so so it sounds like he actually turns out some consistent work is what you're saying yeah i mean very consistent well um... some are better than others uh they're really good one you can watch is uh sniper special ops not without exaggeration are you sure it's not a video game (laughs) that would be a dumb title for a video game even but like there's this was part of the not exaggerating the middle third of this movie is Seagal sitting in a chair in a room not doing anything <laughs> and nothing says skilled martial artist like a guy who sits motionless. in a chair yeah, yeah. He's takes a lot of chi uh, to do that he's changed his martial arts style from Aikido to Chai Chi <laughs> <laughs> from Aikido to Ikea <laughs> <laughs> he just moves like really slowly. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm just gonna sit here for a while. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not even his voice. <laughs> just just a, sit here for a while. It's just an old fat voice. Yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit motherfucking right here for a while. Me, Brendan, and Will watched Mercenary Absolution a few weeks ago, and like every day in the past month since then, every time like we're around each other, we're like. We just start talking like Seagal and saying his lines in the movie. <laughs> We're like children. Like, he says this one thing in the movie where he goes, this is something we in the old school call reversal. <laughs> what? This <laughs> is the most harebrained shit. He's so fucking awesome. He's the greatest person. I think it's better to be like Steven Seagal and just like make a ton of these dumb shit movies than it is to be like uh uh I don't know, like well, one of the well, act- one the- of the like Ashton Kutcher. Well, like no, make apps thing. and like shit like that. That's the thing, especially like, you know, living in this filthy fucking capitalist society that we do. Um, like anybody who finds their niche and just like just slots themselves into it and just like rides it to the bitter end. You know, like I, I'm like, okay, respect. You know, like today we were in Los Angeles today and uh, in like the Hollywood area, like yeah. North Hollywood. And who did we see as we were walking to a shop but Angeline? You in know, her pink Camaro. In her pink Camaro. Her Corvette. You know, she's still around. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, you know, God bless her. Like, I don't know how she yeah. makes a living, yeah. but. I mean, she and she's the Corvette are looking kind of worn. Yeah, for but, sure. Yeah. But she's still doing it. And, you know, 
I admire that. I I hope to be that successfully crass one day. Well, here I have a question then <laughs> regarding um a sort of uh one note not particularly gifted B movie martial artist. Who do you think would win in a fight, Steven Seagal or Chuck Norris? Seagal or yeah, Seagal. I mean, because they're both like Chuck Norris is like eighty, but Seagal is like <laughs> well, I mean, a signi- like... significantly larger man. How tall is he? Because he looks tall. He is tall. He's like six three, I think. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, now, what I've heard is that um, Chuck Norris's um, martial arts bona fides are extremely legit. They are legit. Like, but it's you have to understand that like. This is legit in, like, the 70s when legit in martial arts meant that... So there's this shit called WKA kickboxing. And it was just this, like, bullshit invented by, like, pre-Segal guys who were like, I love Asia. And it was just, like, you would put on long pants and uh, kick other guys in the leg and then sort of kick the air in front of them. And, like, that's not the easiest thing in the world, for sure. Like, you do have to be talented at that to do it. But it's also, like, it's not like saying, like, oh, he was a, you know, NCAA All-American wrestler or he was a Golden Gloves boxer. It's just kind of like, well, he was, like, good at whatever that bullshit was that they did, you know, 50 (laughs) years ago. True, yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme, like was a legitimately amazing kickboxer. Like, he fought real kickboxing fights. Yeah. And he would fucking demolish Chuck Norris at at, at any age. Like, any age. Van Damme was, like, a real motherfucker. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's something I've also heard about Van Damme. Again, like, he, like, he... He's a, allegedly a great guy, too. Oh, well, that's good. It's nice that... I apparently... love Van Damme. I've always loved him. Because apparently, um, you, you even is just... loved him in Double Team. Seriously, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. God. I liked him in his reality show. He had a recent reality show where, in the first part, he like goes back to Belgium, and he goes to like this street that I guess he used to like do karate on or some bullshit. And he's like, uh, "I I wanted to have a plan to save the world, to save the environment, but I failed because of all the cocaine and the bullshit." <laughs> It's it's adorable watching someone get like really riled up in their non-native language. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, just say this and it's the whatever Tommy the Wiseau fuck they principle. speak, like German, French, or whatever the fuck language you speak. But he's he's awesome. I mean, I just love like I love like European dumbasses, which are most people in Europe, really. Like let's go there. Yeah. Well, uh, they are they are your people. <laughs> yeah. They're pieces of shit. <laughs> but Van Damme, Van Damme is like, I mean, most Europeans are just total pieces of shit. But Van Damme's like actually a good person, but he's just like kind of a dumbass. But he was a famous actor and like really amazing at a really tough sport and very earnest about wanting to save the world. And it's it's a great show. He has a great relationship with his like fail kids. He's the fucking man. I love Van Damme. <laughs> he could be the fail father to us all. Speaking as a He's fail kind daughter. of a fail dad. But no, I love I love fucking uh Bloodsport, obviously. Kickboxer, extremely my shit. Universal Soldier. 
Last Action Hero. Like, these have been some fucking awesome movies. There's some underrated shit in Last Action Hero. <laughs> Is there anything else that we want to say about On Deadly Ground? Don't go on it. I don't... <laughs> yeah, watch out for it. I think we've covered more about Deadly Ground than uh, anyone ever. I don't Probably. Well, apart from the Seagullology guy, who, by the way... Uh, wrote a book about Sigala's auteur. The author's name is simply Vern. No last name. Is he Vern's <laughs> friend? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> hey, Vern, I wrote you a friggin' book of film criticism, Vern! <laughs> now, I do have one thing that I do like about this film, and I'm curious what, it, what, if anything, is probably the, like, one good takeaway from this. And in the dream sequence, um, when, um... Uh, or when he's having a spirit quest and he's you know talking to the old woman and he looks in the water and he sees like the raven or something and he dips his hand in and then he brings a hand out and it's covered with oil. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if that was in a more capable director's hands, like it would have been really good. But it's it's like I see what you're trying to do. That actually that is kind of a nice touch. Yeah. So it's like I I appreciate that you're making an effort. He tried. The yeah. important is, as we always say on "Have you seen this?" The important thing is that he tried. Right. So I'm curious <laughs> if either of you had like some kind of like positive takeaway from that, where you're like, "Okay, yeah, I get it. I'm on board with this." Well, uh, again, for me, the real takeaway from On Deadly Ground is that it is an antidote to the reactionary quality of most action cinema. Yeah. You know, because a lot of times, um, you know, as much as I enjoy those types of movies, you know, your, uh, you know, your, um, you know, Schwarzenegger's and your Stallone's and, and whatnot, very entertaining. Um, they're often, they, I mean, they remind me of watching movies with my dad, who's not the most woke guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, but to watch this movie while, and while it is like a fairly lobotomized film, it does have this very earnest anti-corporate environmental message. And the fact that, um, and that it ends with his sincere presentation about the state of the earth. It's almost like a charming throwback to um, the way they used to begin uh, really cheap movies in the 50s where you'd have like a professor explaining something scientific mm-hmm. before you got into the bulk of the story. Yeah, like the um, like uh, Mole Men. Yeah, yeah, like there's a guy explain at the beginning of um, that Mole Man movie. Yeah. Uh, there is a, a professor like explaining like all these different theories of different cultures. Like what what's under the crust of the earth? You know, it's like well, how is this relevant? Nobody yeah. gives a shit. You know, right. but then you go into the story. I think it's weird though in that like it's I I believe that there's a like basic <clears throat> disconnect between like action movies as like kind of a reactionary. Um, sort of genre versus this kind of environmentalist leftist um, sort of non-violent character that Seagal is trying to create here I think that just the two of them are at odds and mm-hmm. that's what's so compelling about this movie is just because of how how these two things just fundamentally do not fit together yeah so that, that... The, the peaceful warrior who shoves people onto spikes and breaks their arms behind their backs. Yeah, it's just like maybe it's an idea that like <laughs> there isn't a context for it or like this isn't the time for that idea. But well, but maybe this is a significant message for our time because we are at a point where um, you're, there is this huge debate on the left about whether or not violence is appropriate. 
Yeah, and I think the fact that just there is a debate about it shows that the notion of going to like your wilderness shack to get your <laughs> stockpile of grenades, yeah, like that that idea just doesn't resonate with with people who are environmentalists and who do care about native well, culture and things. Well, like but that. there is a um, there is a segment of you know like people who want earth justice who do try to achieve it through quote unquote violent means. Yeah. You know, so I mean, okay, it is, like it is a small, falls like that. yeah, it's a small segment of environmentalism, but it is there. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, it like, it kind of plays into this, this whole conversation on the left of like, oh, I don't, I don't know if we should have pushed over those trash cans at Berkeley guys. Like that seems kind of violent. Yeah. And but I, you know, if you're pushing back against the state yeah, or, a, or an evil oil company run by Michael Caine, who apparently puts oil on his head. Because he loves it so much. <laughs> Wouldn't you, though? <laughs> I love oil so much, I bleed, bleed it. Yeah. I exude it. Felix, what's your big takeaway from On Deadly Ground? Um, I think that... Uh, my takeaway from On Deadly Ground as a film is that it portended the modern era of Seagal in that it represents that Seagal, like, took away, you know, those three established... Those three trademarks... From his earlier movies, which is, you know, beats up a guy who calls him gay, uh, you know, doesn't fuck a woman, and, uh, like, explains explains his cockamamie worldview, uh, and sort of made him believe that he can just sort of do this himself, which is where he's at now. But the message of the movie, while incoherent, is, like, kind of admirable. Yes. I agree. Again, yeah. it's like it's like reading the Unabomber manifesto. There are points when you find yourself nodding slowly in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's also I think it's interesting because it, then the movie kind of begs the question of whether you needed an action movie to preface this message when, like you said, you know, less than a decade later, an inconvenient truth comes along, and that movie is a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, and it, yeah, it is. But I mean, like, how much of an effect did that movie actually have? I know. Maybe more than on Deadly Ground. Well, haven't sure. you noticed? Are we sure? I mean, are we fucking sure? Because like Scott Pruitt is in charge of the EPA. I don't think that worked either. Yeah, because I was gonna say like, have you noticed how clean the Earth has gotten, and like how much progress we're making on environmental issues, like the way we stopped the Dakota accident? Oh wait. Oh right, yeah. Well, fair <laughs> point. Yeah. <laughs> well, then I would argue that perhaps Seagal's message is more relevant than ever. So go watch it. He continues to be Yeah, go, everyone, go watch On Deadly Ground. Except Agreed. Michael Caine, don't go watch this movie. You'll only feel bad about yourself. <laughs> Do every motherfucking thing that I say and watch On Deadly Ground. <laughs> every motherfucking thing. <laughs> Felix, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate My it. My pleasure. Yeah, My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>